worship team for leading us this morning and worshiping together as your church. Well, we'll be continuing our study in Luke together this morning today. But uh, last week I quoted from a book and I forgot to bring the book, so this week I remembered to bring the book. So here's the book I'm recommending, Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. The, heart, the subtitle is The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. I know that there are some sinners and sufferers out there. I know I'm one. This is probably one of the best books I've read in the last number of years as Christian books, and I'm extremely picky, because if you recommend a book to me, I probably won't read it. So, um, so but I would highly recommend that book to you um, to read, and you will be blessed beyond belief. It's not exactly what you think it's about. I would really encourage you to read the book. Also, um, last week we were in Luke chapter 7, and it ended this way. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by all her children. So, remember what your assignment was from last week? This book down here. The assignment was to make margin in your life to hang out with people who need Jesus. My guess is you spend enough time hanging out with other people who already know Jesus. Most of us do, including myself. But we need to make margin in our life so we have time to hang out with people who need Jesus. That means socializing with them, spending time with them. And so I've been praying that for all of us as a church, that we would grow in that area, especially this year, as this is going to be a year of spiritual revitalization for us. And uh, I want you to also notice what passage we're in today. So if we continue in chapter 7, you know, this is Jesus, guess what? He's at another party. Notice a theme in Luke. Jesus goes to lots of parties. Uh, this time, you will see why he's called a friend of sinners in this particular passage. So let me read it to you. It's in your bulletin as well. It's printed for you. But one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining a table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair and her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other owed 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you've judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, 
but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Well, we've been expressing our love and devotion to our Lord Jesus Christ for the past 35 minutes or so. It's what we come to do on Sunday mornings together as God's church. It's both a culmination of the week and our personal worship with the Lord, and it's also a wonderful way to begin this next week as we go out to serve the Lord. So let me pray for us this morning. Lord Jesus, we've cried out to you out of the depth of our being this morning in worship, and because you've forgiven us. And we give you our worship and our thanks, and we wait in hope from your word this morning, and we ask for Christ's sake, Lord God, that you would indeed grant it to us this morning. Amen. Well, we express our love deeply from our hearts like the woman in this passage that we read about, but we're not like the Pharisee who doesn't know the value of Jesus. Basically, he thought he was okay in God's presence, sort of ahead of the curve in the general population, if you'd like to put it that way. So, if you're not already there, please turn your Bibles to Luke 7, verse 36 and following, and observe the love of the forgiven. Today, Luke is teaching a very fundamental, simple gospel truth, and that is, is that we love Jesus because He paid our debt that we couldn't pay. We love Jesus because He paid the debt, our debt, that we could not pay. And Luke, again, puts before us as his readers the message of salvation, and today his topic is forgiveness. And our story really has three scenes to it, you probably noticed them revealing the relationship between the forgiven and love expressed. And so, in the first scene, in verses 36 to 39, we see this great devotion. In verses 40 to 48, we see the scene I would entitle, From Forgiveness to Love. And finally, in the third scene, in verses 49 to 50, Blessings for Those Who Believe. Well, in our study of Luke's gospel, Jesus is actually still in the middle of his Galilean portion of his ministry. The first stage of his Galilean ministry began in chapter 4, and you remember chapter 4. That was the controversial sermon that Jesus gave in Nazareth, and it must have been such a great sermon because they all tried to kill him afterwards. That's how Jesus began his ministry. Well, the second stage of his Galilean ministry actually just began in chapter 7, and we looked at that a couple weeks ago with those two astounding first miracles in the book that you wouldn't believe that Jesus could heal from a distance by just saying a word. Didn't even need to be present. And we saw Jesus raise the widow's son from the dead. And that was actually really only the first part of the story because the second part of the story we looked at last week, and that's John the Baptist languishing in prison, having questions about who Jesus really is. And we learned in Luke 7, 23, Jesus said, Blessed is he who keeps from stumbling over me, and that we are to believe in him and to keep following him. Well, today we're looking at a very familiar story, the story of the sinful woman anointing Jesus. And it's really important to clarify for you that in Matthew 26, Mark 14, and John 12, we have recorded the story of Mary, 
who anoints Jesus before his passion. That's a different story. This story in Luke is wholly different. It occurred much earlier in Jesus' ministry and in his life. And it's my prayer that our love for Jesus, because he paid our debt that we couldn't pay, would actually grow today. So let's look at this first scene again. We have the sinful woman's actions in verses 36 to 38. And then we see the Pharisees' hearts. And so we read, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. So now here in verse 36, we observe that Jesus would even fellowship with Pharisees. Now, not very often, but sometimes he would. And likely this particular meal would be a typical meal that would be held after a synagogue service, sort of similar to like if you have a traditional Sunday meal after church, something like that. But you see, Jesus is open to anyone, not just the radically sinful types of people, but they have to truly want him. And this Pharisee, and we learn his name later, his name is Simon, is probably really using this opportunity to closely examine Jesus. We, we know his motives aren't pure, it's pretty obvious. He may be more curious than he is skeptical, we can maybe give him a little bit of grace, but what happens at the meal will prove what's in his heart. And so then we go on and we read, And behold, a woman of the city who was a sin, sinner, when she learned that he, Jesus, was reclining at a table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster bastard flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed him with the ointment. So, This sinful woman, who apparently has that reputation, learns that Jesus is at this particular dinner, and so she shows up with her jar of perfume, out of devotion for Jesus. She was not an invited guest. But often at such special meals like this in this culture and this time, they were somewhat sort of left open, if you will, uh, for people to gather around and perhaps learn from those who would be teaching. Uh, in the conversation, and some even think that the needy were allowed to show up afterward to eat the leftovers. Now, by Luke calling her a sinner, most scholars would say that that means in this particular context that she's most likely a prostitute. Could be that she was an adulteress, or maybe she was actually just married to a man who had a very dishonorable reputation. But for clarity's sake, it's very important, I think, to clear up Uh, a rumor that's been going around the church for 1,400 years. And that is, is that this woman is Mary Magdalene. It is not Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene is a pivotal witness at the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. So to say that this is her is just a bunch of popular bunk. She had seven demons cast out of her. She traveled and supported Jesus in his ministry. And we'll learn about that in chapter 8, verse 2, more next time. But there's no historical evidence that this woman is Mary Magdalene, this prostitute in chapter 7. That identification only took place in the 6th century in the Western church. And perhaps it's partly due to the terrible reputation of the city of Magdala, where Mary was from, But she needs to have her name cleared from being called a prostitute. I mean, do you like it when people slander you? 
We need to be very careful when jumping to conclusions about things we read in the Bible and maybe just read a little more carefully. Well, back to the real sinful woman in Luke 7. She washed Jesus' feet with her her tears while they were reclining. Their feet would be extended away from the table as they would lay down. Their sandals would be removed. And she wasn't just sweetly weeping. These tears are pouring out of her eyes like rain. That's the meaning of the Greek word in this text. She probably, though, didn't plan on showing up and letting herself be undone. But it's happened to you before, right? Where for no real reason, all of a sudden, you just start weeping. That's what happened. These are tears of devotion and joy for the forgiveness of sin that she's already likely experienced and has been granted from Jesus. It'll become obvious later on as we go through the story. And she'd wipe off his dirty feet with her unbound hair. How scandalous. But Jesus liked scandals. He caused them. To cause people to focus on who he really is. And she kissed Jesus' feet repeatedly in reverence. And when she finished this, then she anointed his feet with the most expensive perfume she could find. And she came probably not with the intention to dump it on his feet, because what was normal would be to anoint his head with oil. But as you can imagine, I mean, she's just simply overwhelmed in the presence of this holy Jesus and his mercy. And she was overcome with a proper sense of her own humility and unworthiness, and it reminds us of the story we just finished in Luke chapter 7, verse 6. The centurion, who everybody else thought was a worthy man, and that Jesus should heal him because he's so worthy. He's the one who said, I am not worthy. And that's how Mary, or how, (laughs) I said it myself, that's how this sinful woman felt in this passage. Did you notice, though, in the story, she never speaks? She doesn't have to, because her actions tell it all. And we should realize that each of her movements that she's going through, they take time. A lot longer than it takes to read this text. And the Pharisee's eyes are wide open watching. And so are everyone else's. And so we read then, now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, this man were a prophet He would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him. Jesus let prostitutes touch him. The Pharisee Simon, we learn in verse 40, had quite a lot of mental objections to all this, and his mind is racing. Of course, he's aghast. If If he had any inclination that Jesus might have been a prophet before, well, that's certainly gone. A true prophet would be able to assess immediately what type of woman this was and that her behavior is morally unacceptable in our culture and should not be tolerated. But Jesus is letting this unclean woman touch him and perform indiscreet acts. There's no way this Jesus is a prophet, let alone the prophet who would be the Messiah, the one that Moses predicted who would come. But remember Luke 7.35 Wisdom is justified by all her children. This is why Jesus went to parties. This is why Jesus likes to hang out with sinful people. 
This is why Jesus seeks out people who need him and his forgiveness. Jesus was truly a prophet and so much more as we're going to see in a moment. He knows both of them very well, this woman and this Simon and their thoughts. But what we have here is great devotion from a great sinner who's been greatly forgiven and greatly changed, though spurned by Simon and his self-righteous friends. She is the model of love and devotion. Are we worthy or not of Jesus? I hope you don't think you are, because you're not. Are you humble before him, or do you think that somehow there's some sufficiency in you? Something to go home and think about. We love Jesus because he paid a debt we couldn't pay. That's why we love Jesus. And so in the second scene from Forgiveness to Love in verses 40 to 48, Jesus tells this parable, this story about obligation before God in verses 40 to 43, and then he applies it right to the sinful woman. And so the story continues, and Jesus answering said to him, Simon, and then you know Simon's not talking out loud, but Jesus answered him. And he says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, well, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. So Jesus will indeed show Simon he's a prophet, and a whole lot more than that. He thoroughly knows the woman, he knows Simon, he knows what's going on, he knows a whole lot more. Jesus just simply tells Simon, I have something to tell you. Simon agrees to hear it, perhaps expecting some wise saying by Jesus, or perhaps even sensing more likely somehow he's going to get caught in some kind of a rabbinical trap, which is the case because you can watch him, Jesus is the master trapper. This is all out in public, and Jesus knows exactly what he's doing to Simon. But out of some level of respect, though, Simon decides to call Jesus teacher. Empty words. Well, Jesus proceeds to tell a very simple story about the banking business. It's a very unusual story because it doesn't go along with one's expectations of this particular industry. The money lender, the banker, out of sheer grace forgives the debts of two debtors. How many bankers do you know do that? So debtor one owes the money lender 500 denarii. That's 500 days of work. That's two years' salary. So think about that. What do you earn in a year? Double it. That's the amount of debt that's being forgiven. Debtor number two owes the money lender 50 denarii, 50 labor days, equivalent to two months' salary. That's truly extraordinary. This is a great middle-class example because that's who's in the room. You know, it's like uh, your lender deciding all of a sudden to forgive your mortgage or your car payment, as one commentator put it. Wouldn't that be extraordinary to just get a letter in the mail saying your mortgage was canceled or it's paid in full? So I don't know if there happen to be any bankers in the room today, but if there are and you have a favorite pastor, you know, you could send a certain kind of letter. So it's a really simple question that Jesus now asks about debtor one and debtor two. And notice Simon's reluctant answer, and it's the way I read it is the way it comes across both in Greek and in English, I suppose. 
Because Simon doesn't want to answer the question. He knows he's trapped. He knows the application. He knows what's coming. And Jesus forces him to publicly give an answer. I mean, what else can he do now in his own house with all these people around him and his reputation on the line? Jesus is really good in these situations, you know. Well, then he congratulates Simon and his answer when he says, well, I suppose the one who's been forgiven more. Again, that's Jesus having a fun time at Simon's expense. Oh, you're so brilliant, Simon. You got the answer right. So we see who's really running the show. But you notice also, though, this is actually another way for Jesus to show mercy to Simon. And sometimes showing people mercy requires this kind of behavior to get them to wake up. I mean, if Simon really wants to learn, he's free to learn. So is he going to learn? We'll find out. I mean, the parallel is pretty obvious, isn't it? I mean, we know it. I mean, God is the lender. Sin is our debt. The level of our sinfulness is the level of our indebtedness. It's a pretty simple parable. But then Jesus applies the story to the sinful woman in 44 through 48. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, notice he turns to the woman, but he talks to Simon. Do you see this woman? Because he's ignoring her. I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who's forgiven little loves little. So Jesus turns toward the woman still in the middle of her act of devotion. He acknowledges her, and he teaches Simon, he teaches the crowd, teaches Calvary Church this morning. Jesus contrasts the hospitality of Simon, which is nothing, with that of the sinful woman, which is enormous. There are three things that are mentioned here. Water for his feet. Simon didn't even give Jesus water for his feet. That was expected in that culture to honor your guest. So now we know what Simon really thinks of Jesus. He's one rude dude. The woman uses her own bodily tears in her hair. Kiss on his face. Simon doesn't kiss him, although that's the common greeting of friendship. So again, we know what Simon really thinks of Jesus. You know what he thinks? He thinks he's too good for Jesus. That's what he thinks. But this woman is constantly kissing him on his feet. Unheard of submission. And Jesus doesn't stop her. And then anointing his head with oil, Simon does nothing, although it was a common, very inexpensive courtesy to anoint someone's head with oil. And again, we see what kind of man Simon really was. He is an arrogant scumbag. That's who Simon is. 
The woman uses this large amount of costly perfume, and again, even on Jesus' feet. Surely Simon could have done more. I mean, he could have done something, anything to honor Jesus, but that's because he doesn't think Jesus is worth very much. Because of all that the sinful woman has done, her love giving her the nerve and the boldness, she shows that she's been forgiven for her many sins. For she loved much here in the Greek is a declarative statement. It can be confusing in the English. It's not a causal statement. In other words, her great love is evidence of her forgiveness. It's not the basis of it. And it's most likely that this happened earlier in Jesus' ministry where she put her faith in him and was saved from her sins. And she just happened to find him, to thank him. And we're not told when that was. But you see, the one forgiven little, this is again another rhetorical reference to Simon. He's not forgiven at all. But he did nothing. He showed no love toward Jesus, not even token fake love. Couldn't even get that pulled off. He's in great debt. But Simon doesn't think he needs a lot of help to be right with God. But he's very wrong. And there are many people in our society today who think the same way. They don't need a lot of help to be right with God. The point here is is that even little sinners can't pay off their debt to God. You need His gracious forgiveness. All of us need to realize that we can't pay off our debt to God. The point is also that little love for Jesus can come from those kinds of people. I mean, their hearts don't break. They don't understand. They don't sympathize with the sinful woman in the passage. They probably don't like this sermon. The point is also that this sinful woman is no longer sinful because she's been changed by the grace of God. It's like we heard earlier at Levi's party. I mean, how many parties are there in this book? Jesus is always hanging out with people who need him. It's a theme. And in Luke 5.31, Jesus said to them, it's not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And in verse 48, he said to her, woman, your sins are forgiven. Jesus encourages her, reassures her that She indeed is forgiven. He personally canceled her sins. Jesus pronounced absolution. Jesus is the only one who can pronounce absolution of sins. Oh, there are a lot of human priests around these days. They can't pronounce absolution of sins. Only Jesus can do that because he would pay it in full, the debt on his cross, and no one else ever did or could. He also publicly approves of her acts here, her acts of devotion. They're perfectly acceptable in his sight. And he calls other people to do similar things by approving of what this sinful woman did. So Jesus' forgiveness should move us to love, 
no one, none of us can pay the debt that we owe to God for our sins. He's absolutely holy, and we're so far from giving Him the glory that He deserves. And you know, sin is measured by God's holiness. We don't get to measure it ourselves. We don't get to self-assess how sinful we are in God's sight. He's the one who assesses us. I hope you don't think like Simon this morning, thinking that you're not really that bad, just because you can name a few people worse than yourself. Hopefully you don't think you just need a little help from some religious teacher. Because if you do, you miss the whole point of the episode. Because we all need Jesus to pay for our sins and to credit that payment on our behalf. We've been forgiven so much more than a mortgage or a car loan. I mean, it's an infinite debt of sin that we owe to an infinite God. And Jesus paid it all. That's extraordinary. We love Jesus because he paid this debt that you see, we could not pay it. And then we get to the final scene and the blessings for those who believe in verses 49 to 50, and we see what the guests do. They complain. As you notice, there are a lot of complainers in the book of Luke. I hope you know that complaining is a sin. Do you know that? And Jesus then blesses the woman. Then those who were at table with him began, and you can translate it, to say amongst themselves or to say to themselves, murmuring to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. You see, the other guests of Simon's are marveling. They're really complaining. Everybody to themselves and amongst themselves. Quietly enough, they think Jesus can't hear, but he hears them. Maybe they wanted him to hear. Because he's claiming that he has authority to forgive sins, and only God has authority to forgive sins. It's reminiscent of actually Jesus healing the paralytic earlier in Luke. You notice how all the stories in Luke are tied together. Luke 5.20, Jesus said, Friend, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But that's the whole point. Jesus is the eternal Son of God who's become man. And again, we should note that Jesus is making a much larger claim here than just simply being a prophet. He doesn't really care what Simon thinks of him. Who's Simon anyway? And then Jesus blesses the woman. She's the important person in this story. In verse 50, and it says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And Jesus tells this woman very clearly that her faith has saved her. Her faith, her trust in Jesus as the Savior from sin. And you notice that it's not some kind of a general spiritual faith. Faith doesn't just exist out there as an, as an idea. Oh, people think it does. But you have to have faith in something. And only faith in Jesus Christ is going to save you from your sins. That's why she's forgiven. Because he's the only one who has the power to do so. And we're to understand again that Jesus paid the debt not just of this woman's sin. But he paid the debt in full for multitudes of sinners around the world on his cross. And Luke's point in recording this story 
And why he ends the story the way he ends the story is to call everybody who reads the story or hears the story to put their faith in Jesus, the Son of God, who can save sinners from their sins. Is that you today? Have you put your faith in Jesus alone to forgive you of your sins? I mean, what great freedom and peace there is to have your sins forgiven. Just look at the woman. How free do you think she feels? And what misery and delusion it is to carry the burden of your own sins, especially when the Savior is in your midst to forgive you of your sins. All you have to do is repent and believe. Jesus gives the woman a final word of blessing. It confirms her new status, and that word is peace. Wonderful word. She's at peace with God, and God is at peace with her. So she can go, changed, and live her life in the realm of divine peacefulness and hope for eternity. There's so many blessings that are summed up here for people who believe in Jesus, and it all flows out of that one word, peace. See, after we believe in Jesus Christ for salvation, for the forgiveness of sins, our status changes from being an enemy of God, which the Scriptures declare, to becoming a friend of God and at peace with God. And our life experience is different because we don't have to run around. We don't have to hide. We don't have to pretend that we are at peace with God because we really are at peace with God. And he's at peace with us. And our sins have been paid. They've all been paid. The debt's been paid in full that we couldn't pay. Jesus paid it. And so in this story in Luke, we've witnessed a beautiful, heart-wrenching illustration of gospel transformation. And notice how much space Luke gave to this story. He could have shortened this story, but he didn't shorten the story. He kept it long so that we have a lot to think about and to meditate on and to look into this text and think and pray. Surely we ought to see this contrast between how Jesus accepted a sinner who repented and forgave the sins and how Simon, a self-righteous sinner who has not repented, rejects a fellow sinner, he's not that much better, who had believed on Jesus Christ. I mean, that's the way it often works, isn't it? When you put your faith in Jesus, God truly comes into your life and opens your mind to the beauty of Jesus, gives you new life, and then all of your religious relatives criticize you for your radical faith in Jesus. It's the way it works. So we should also realize this woman's love experience really is the experience of all the forgiven. It was your experience at some point. I know it was. You remember it? Maybe it was the day you got saved at your conversion. Maybe it was some later time in your life when all of a sudden it hit you differently. That Jesus forgave you of all of your sins and you're right with God. The story also reminds us that we're to continually be pouring out our love on Jesus, the love of the forgiven. I mean, consider this week how you can express your love to Jesus Christ in your prayers, in your worship, 
in your life. And you can meditate upon Christ and His work and upon yourself as a sinner who's needed forgiveness and got it all. You've received it. How much have you been forgiven? My guess is none of us really know the half of it. Our expressions of love toward Him shows not only that we're forgiven, but that we really know it, we sense it, and we appreciate it. We glory in the cross. We glory in its purpose for all of eternity and its application. We're truly blessed by Jesus Christ. We have confidence and security in our relationship with God precisely because we have Jesus' word on it. He said you're forgiven. And we have his actions to back it up. He died on the cross in our place. And it's by faith that we take hold of the reality and receive the blessing that he paid a debt that we couldn't pay. So let's pray and give him praise. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your words that we read here this morning recorded for us on forgiveness, on faith, on peace, on being released from a debt that we couldn't pay. We praise you that you are the sinless one who came from heaven and took upon yourself the infirmity of our flesh and offered yourself the perfect sacrifice for our sins, for this eternal, infinite, holy debt we owed against the holy God and that it is all paid and that we're free. And I pray for us at Calvary today and those listening from so many other places that they would know the freedom of forgiveness of sin and that we would become people that are just full of gratitude like this woman and want to just express our love and our worship and our devotion to you in unhindered ways that the world might even consider scandalous. Because we love you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.